You're listening to Trucking Questions from the Audio Road with Kevin Rutherford. This is the show that puts the money where it belongs, back in your pocket. You can ask questions about trucks, money, fuel mileage, maintenance, tires, tax, technology, or anything else about the business of trucking. Here we go. Let's head on down the audio road. Welcome to the program. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. The website is letstruck.com. The show is all about the business of trucking. If you've got questions about trucks, money, fuel mileage, maintenance, tires, taxes, technology, or really anything to do with trucking, you've come to the right place. That's what we do here. We take your calls. We answer your questions about all those topics and many, many more. It's all about trucking, but it's also about helping you be a better you. And that includes helping you get better in all areas of your life, trucking, business, money, finances, health, relationships, personal development, you name it, we'll tackle it here on the air. All you have to do is pick up the phone and join us. And I'm going to get to those calls in just a little bit. Uh, I started talking last weekend about an idea that I've, I've had for quite some time, and I think some things are coming together now that are going to help us pull this off. And it's the idea of having mastermind groups. And we've played around with this in the past. Uh, several years ago, we started the 20 group. And you know what? It, it was one of those things that didn't work out the way we had hoped. It was one of the failures. But I talk all the time about if you want to be successful, just start failing more often. And that really is true, especially in today's world where there is everything is changing. Um, Our technology changes, the platforms change, our apps change. Everything that is available to us to do these things is changing rapidly. So failing is not a big deal. In fact, failing is the best way to learn. So the, the 20 group, in one sense, you could call it a failure because it didn't continue. But in, in another sense, I think it was a huge success because of the other groups that have come out of that that are still going strong and doing some great things in the industry. So we want to get back to that. But the idea of failing is you should learn from your failures. And, and the 20 group had a couple problems, uh, mostly my fault. Um, 20 people was too many and we didn't have a clear enough agenda. And I wanted 20 people with very, very different backgrounds. And that's what I chose. And it turned out to be, we didn't have enough in common. I mean, we were all in trucking, but there was still just too much going on. So this time we're going to do it a little different. The groups are going to be 10 people. No more. You could possibly have less, but no more than 10. And each group will need a a core theme that they build around. And I'm going to kick this program off by starting my own group. I'll have 10 people in my group. And my core is going to be customer service and sales. So I'm going to have an application process. I'm working on that now. And I'm going to want to work with people. I'm going to want people in my group that have their own customers or are looking to get their own customers so that we need to work on 
sales, sales skills, sales strategies, customer service strategies, things like that. Now, the groups will will have a core like that. For example, I could see another uh, group, a mastermind starting up with 10 people that are contracted to the same carrier. I could see 10 people in the same segment. Maybe you all pull specialized or tanker. I could see groups around fitness, people who like to run when they're on the road. I could see groups around cooking, just like we have Facebook groups. But what this will do is take that Facebook group idea to the next level. Now, and I, and I think we should have a Facebook group for each mastermind. So you have a page that you can go to. And we're also going to build some pages um, on our site to help manage these groups. We're working on that now. So we're, we're really taking that group that has worked really well on Facebook. Um, I, I've seen a lot of good come out of the groups on Facebook. We're just going to take it to the next level. So imagine uh, if you belong to any Facebook groups, imagine a group that had 10 people, just 10 members, and you guys shared information. But now we have to get together. You know, I'm tempted to try once a week. But I know how hard that can be. So I'm thinking maybe we should make it every other week. But, you know, what happens then if you make the meetings every other week when you miss just one meeting, it's an entire month before you get together with the group. So I'm really leaning towards making it once a week. And you know what? I I know what's going to happen with this. I, I can foresee it already. I'm worried myself because I know how hard it is for me to commit to getting to a group every uh, an hour every week. But you know what? I need to do it. I know it's good for me. It's one of those things. I just have to make it a priority. Our challenge will be, can we get enough people that will make this a priority that we keep it going? And I can promise you this. If you do, if you are part of a group and the group is committed and you keep going and you meet every week, and you get active in this, it will change your life. I promise you. We just have to commit to this. So we're we're putting everything in place. My thought on this is that there will be a charge to belong to each group. And I think the minimum charge should be $100. Um, and I think the minimum time we should commit to for a group is three months. So three months is, you know, it's long enough that we can accomplish some things, but it's not so long that people will be afraid to commit. I I think, you know, we're, this is a learning experience. So we're just going to have to throw it out there, start playing around with it, tweak it, see what works. I'd love to get some feedback from people who are interested. Now, the money is not going to us as a company. I, I, nobody's going to profit off of this venture. The money will go into a pool for each group. The money will be used for expenses for the group. For example, one of the things the group is going to do is work on a book together. So the expenses can all go towards paying for those audio books, paying for any software we might need. I could see having a, a penalty system where if you miss a meeting, you've got to pay five bucks. If you commit to doing something every day and you miss a day, you got to pay five bucks, whatever. We'll work out the details. But at the end, let's say we all put our money in, we all, you know, pay our penalties if we need to. 
we spend some money out for software books. And, and at the end of the three months, whatever is in the pot, we distribute it out to a charity or we do something within the trucking industry. Maybe we hold an event where we can get together. I don't know. I'm thinking out loud. Uh, but the money will not go to anybody as profit. It, it will just be used for a good cause, whatever the group decides. Uh, and again, none of this is set in stone. I'm just thinking out loud, and I'm sure this is going to change. I haven't been able to find really anybody else doing this on a, a kind of a big scale. I know of lots of mastermind groups. I've been a part of a couple. I, I love the idea. I get a ton out of them. But we're going to try to manage this and, and grow it. I mean, I, I'd love to see a day where, where we're managing 100 mastermind groups in the trucking industry. Imagine how much good and how much positive change we would be able to make if we had that. That would be roughly a thousand people all focused on making things better. What if someday we could get to a thousand mastermind groups? You know, the, the technology today makes this so much better than it could have been before. And that's why, you know, I think now is the time. So I, I'm working on the technology. If you are familiar with Google Hangouts, um, Google Hangouts will probably be a big part of this. So Google Hangouts allows you to, to host an event. Lots of people can sit in and watch or listen if you want them to, or you can make it closed. But you can also have 10 people on a video conference. So that's why it kind of works great for this group, because groups are going to be 10 people or less. So we can get together and and I know the challenges on the road. I get that. I know this isn't going to be easy, but this is part of the hard work. This is part of doing things that other people aren't willing to do. And that's how you end up with rewards that other people aren't able to appreciate or achieve. Because you're willing to step up and say, yeah, I know it's going to be difficult. I've got to deal with being on the road and bandwidth and connection issues and all that other stuff. I get that. But the people who step up and figure this out and commit to it and, and learn and step out of their comfort zone and become a part of one of these groups, I think the payoff is going to be tremendous. And if we can get enough leaders to step up and, and form groups, we could make some real positive changes in the industry. So I am looking for people to step up and be leaders. And uh, I'll tell you how you can get in touch with me if you are interested when we get back from the break. Stick around. I'm Kevin Rutherford.
Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. The website is letstruck.com. I'm going to get right to, oh, no, I was going to give you an address. That's right. If you are interested, I'm looking for leaders. I'm looking for people who have an idea, a theme, a core that you can build your group around. And step. I'm looking for people to step up and lead a group. And, you know, don't worry if you don't know anything. I don't know anything. I don't know how we're going to do this yet. I'm figuring it out. I'll train people. We'll we'll work it out. I just need people who are willing to step up. So if you're interested right now, I'm going to have an application process soon. But for right now, just send me an email to support at letstruck.com. So and those will get to me and I'll be in touch. Start thinking about and and remember, you don't have to have a ton of experience for this. We have a, a couple who are new to the industry a couple of years, but they've they've really worked hard to learn things. And their theme is first year in the industry. They're going to help people with their first year in the industry. I'd love that idea. I mean, how critical is that, that we reach out to these people who are brand new? They're the future of our industry. So. Think about what you might build a group around. And if you're interested in stepping up and being a leader, build your own little tribe. Send me an email at support at letstruck.com. Let's get to some phone calls. Let's go to Florida. Dennis, welcome to the program. Hey, uh, good afternoon. Uh, question is about all the numbers on the side of our trucks. What's, uh, what's required? What's nice to have but not needed? I've I've seen trucks with just a USDOT number. I've seen trucks with a, a TN-HF, KYUCA. Right. Let me and try trucks with, with with nothing. What what's all up with that? And and, and I want to stay legal. And okay, let me let me give you my best answer. And I'm not going to be able to help you stay legal because this isn't an area I stay up. And I'll give you my best you know, explanation, ones that I do know. What I would recommend, have you ever listened to our podcast, Trucking with Authority? No. Okay. Go to our website, letstruck.com, and look at Trucking with Authority. That's Kenny Long, and Kenny is doing an excellent job of working through all of the issues around compliance. So he'd be a great person uh, to ask this now, here's the thing: if you the the way I understand it, again, I might be wrong on this, not my area, but a U.S. DOT number is required to put a truck on the road. But what it doesn't give you is authority to move freight. So you would say, well, what what's the point? Why would I have a DOT number if I can't move freight? Well, you can move freight, you just can't move it for anybody else. So private carriers who don't, all they do is they have trucks and they move their own product. All they need is a USDOT number. They don't need authority because they're not moving anybody else's freight. Now, if you had a private company and you said, we're going to move our freight, deliver it out, but instead of coming back empty, we want to start picking up freight. So we keep our trucks full. Well, then they would have to go get their authority. And that's when you would see the MC number. So those are the two different numbers there. The USDOT number just kind of says, hey, I've got a truck and it's legal to be on the road. I'm just not allowed to move anybody else's freight. I I can move my own or I could move exempt commodities. Um, Produce is exempt. So 
uh, any, I think, raw materials um, are exempt. And I don't know all the details on that. So you could also move exempt products if you didn't have authority, but you need a, a DOT number. When you see the KYU, that's a Kentucky mileage permit. So that's letting you know that you're registered in the state of Kentucky under mileage. And you might see that for New York, New Mexico. Uh, again, I don't know what's absolutely required for being on the outside of the truck, though. I know what most numbers are for, what they designate. I don't know what's absolutely required to have on the outside of the truck, but I, I think that's a great question for Kenny. Well, I, I will take it over to the uh, Trucking with Authority podcast, then. Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah, that's uh, and and you know what? That's the reason we're bringing in other hosts. Why we're starting other shows. Why we're doing the groups. The 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 tribe, the listeners are getting much more sophisticated. They're getting much smarter, and they're asking better questions. And and we're getting to the point where, you know what? They're starting to ask questions that I don't have the answers for. And, and we cover so many areas, I can't possibly know all this stuff. That's why we've got Mike Beckett doing shows. Um, people like Kenny Long and Chad Boblett, Rico Muhammad, uh, Kim Cockerham, because we need to dive deeper into these areas. And, and there are people out there that know a lot more about this stuff than I do. Um, I can put things together for them. That's That's what our job will be. Let's go to Florida. Daniel, welcome to the program. Good afternoon, Mr. Rutherford. Um, I got a, a two questions, two, well, two really b basic questions. Uh, one, just I'll uh, just get that out of the way first. It's uh, about personal health. Um, I'm trying to cut out soda completely. However, I've noticed that when I've done it so in the past and failed at it, I, I was, I'd always get hungry. It's, it's usually what I would do uh, is, you know, just kind of sip on it throughout the day and not eat anything until the end of the day. And I guess I'm trying to figure out what can I do to not have to have soda but still not have to eat all the time. Got it. As so let me, let me try to just give you a different way of thinking about this. Because honestly, okay. I think that there were two problems with that. One, you're drinking a lot of soda because you're sipping it all day long. We know that's just poison. But the other part is eating once a day or, or eating, you know, very seldom is not good. It's not good for your health. It's not good for your weight. They've actually shown that if you save up and eat, you know, one meal a day, um, you'll have a much harder time losing weight. And here's why. Your body is pretty sophisticated. And if it has to go a long time before it gets nourishment, it starts holding on to calories. It starts slowing down your metabolism because it doesn't know when the next meal is coming. It, and that's that's how your body works. And, and that goes way back to, you know, when we were living in caves, um, it, because that is the way you would eat a lot of times. You know, you couldn't eat till you killed something. And your body got very efficient at not using any extra calories until it know, knows there's food available. So the longer okay. you go between meals, the more your body starts holding on to calories and slowing down your metabolism. But if you eat like I, I'm a, I'm a grazer. I eat about 12 times a day. And I'm not exaggerating. I, I eat almost all day long. The only time I don't eat virtually is when I'm on the air talking. 
And if it's a live show and I actually get two and three minute breaks, I eat it almost every break. But I eat, I just nibble on stuff, you know, some raw vegetables and hummus, some nuts. Nuts are good. Um, you know, try to carrots work. Celery and carrots are amazing. I mean, if you can snack on raw vegetables, that's an amazing thing to snack on. For me, I've got to have something with them. You know, I used to try dressings, but dressings aren't very healthy. Um, so I switched to hummus. I love raw vegetables and hummus, and hummus is healthy. It's it's beans. Um, so that's something I'll graze on nuts like almonds, walnuts, pistachios, you know, try to not to get too much salt with those, but those are healthy snacks. Um, okay. You know, fruit, you, you want to go a little easy on because of all the sugar, but you can snack on on that. There's some great bars on the market now. The Kind Bars, K-I-N-D, they, almost all of their bars are only like four or five ingredients. So there's <laughs> nothing in them but like fruit, nuts, and a little bit of honey. And the flavors are absolutely amazing. They must have like 50 different bars. So what you, yeah, so, so, you know, spend some time. If you can get to someplace like Whole Foods, you know, once in a while, or, you know, Costco even has some good stuff you can buy in bulk and, and start thinking about instead of sipping something all day long, think of nibbling on something fairly healthy and see how that works and, and have plenty of water. Okay. And uh, the second thing is I kind of had, I, I've, for the past, I've been listening to you, I can't remember how long now, and I've finally got to the point where I, I think I have a, a, a plan to go about getting into this. Um, okay. I'm going to be switching jobs so I can make some more money here shortly so I can save more. But within the next two years, I want to have 10 grand to, to spend there's a, a truck that's about like 20 miles away from where I live and it's just been sitting there and uh, it's a uh, 92 uh, Aeromax with a uh, N14 Cummins in it and a nine speed with three nineties uh, gears in it. Uh, okay. Going nowhere, doing nothing. I, I think I can pick it up for five grand or less. And if I, I figure if I could maybe put like five or 10 into it and get it on the road, I could run it, improve it, and over, and then eventually, provided they're still available at the time, get myself into like a glider. Yeah, absolutely. So hold that thought. Let me uh, get to a break, and I'll come back, and we'll talk about that. Stick around. I'm Kevin Rutherford.
Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. The website is letstruck.com. I'm going to get back to Florida. Daniel, are you still with me? Yes, sir. All right. So that's a great plan. I love the concept. I, the truck would work great. I love the fact that you're not trying to rush this too much. It, and if you look at this and if we were to break it down, if you want to save $10,000 in two years, it's $96 a week is what it's going to take you. So I love goals like that where we can measure them every single step of the way. I, I mean, we can measure this goal every week. If if we get to a week and you can't save the $96, we know, you know, we haven't met the goal that week. It, and And it's when we can measure it that precisely, it's so much easier to achieve it. And I could see this where you could, you know, save for the first year, you have 5,000, you go out and buy a truck. Then, and then as you start saving over the next year, every time you get some money, you put it back into the truck. I think it's a great plan. I, I, I still have yet to go and I'm going to probably wind up getting your, your uh, audio book just because I want the extra information. I want to learn more. That's probably why I haven't done what I'm planning on doing yet is because I know, I guess I'm not ready. So I'd rather not get halfway in and screw up. Yeah. And the audio program is going to show you every single step of the way it's in writing. There's a plan, there's worksheets. Um, I, I am getting, well, you know what? I'm going to hold off on that yet. Um, I'm going to get to some phone calls. Let's go to Texas. Bill, welcome to the program. Hey there. How are you? Good. What's on your mind today? I got two questions for you. One is what the EPA and them allowing other states to take on California's their research ideas. I, Oregon is trying to adopt it all because the ports are throwing all the trucks out of California and are going to Oregon. Do you have any ideas that this is going to come across the country really fast? Um, what's your opinion? Well, um, I don't think it's going to go across the country fast. I don't even know if it's going to go across the country at all. Uh, California is not having a good time of this. California has got all kinds of lawsuits over carb. Um, and, and remember, carb isn't just trucking. Carb covers right. everything in California. I mean, all industry, it, everything. Carb has got their fingers in. And it's kind of a mess. I, I can't imagine many states adopting this. And if they do, I don't think by any stretch it'll happen quickly. I mean, look at how long California took to put any of the rules in place and they they put you know extensions on every one of them um you know i i i can't predict what the government's going to do i do like to keep an eye on it so that we don't get blindsided but i also won't make any business decisions until something is in set in stone you know i i'm if if Oregon comes up with the same rules as California and they actually get it through and adopt it, well, then that's just one other state that I won't truck in. And I live here. <laughs> I mean, you know, right. I, I'd move if I had trucks. I, seriously, I would. And I know people think that's insane, but I've moved several times for a business advantage. I, I would do it again. Wouldn't bother me at all. Right. Well, a lot of them in California have moved. Second question. Do you have any idea how the IRS is going to figure the adjusted gross income for the health insurance for for rebates or subsidies as far as a LLC versus a regular person uh, who's just, yeah. you know, filing a 1040? Yeah, the, the, the good news is, well, 
I mean, it's as good as it gets. I guess it's not going to be that difficult. Everybody has to file a 1040. It doesn't matter if you own 37 corporations. You have to file 37 corporate returns, but you always have to file a personal return. Mm -hmm. That personal 1040 brings everything together. And there is a line on the 1040 for adjusted gross income. And that's exactly where that number is going to come from for the IRS. Well, I guess my question is, as far as uh, how we pay ourselves, is that going to be the adjusted or are they going to take the whole number that's netted out? And that's your, well, that's, see, your that, that, that's what I'm saying. When we fill out the 1040, if you were to grab a 1040 right now and look at it, there is a line on the 1040 called AIG, and right. it includes everything. I mean, it, it and you're, everything. oh, yeah. I mean, so it doesn't matter if we have corporations and pay ourselves uh, because adjusted gross is a very specific number that the IRS is looking for, and there's really no way to cheat that number. So then all these people who think that they're going to get around it by paying themselves $40,000 really are not going to be able to do that. Uh, no, no, because they, again, you know, and, and I, I, I would need to go in and read the rules, which I haven't done about this yet. I'm getting ready to, we're setting up our tax service now, and this is going to be a huge issue for us. Um, I, I don't see any way um, around that. You're, you're either going to have to get the, um, insurance, or you're going to have to pay the penalty because the, the adjusted gross income line, I just pulled up a 2014 tax return to see which line it was this year. It's line 37. And it, it's at the very bottom of the front page and the front page, it's the last line. So every wow. line above that line includes every type of income you could possibly receive. You know, it, we have wages that are in there, salaries, tips, dividends, ordinary dividends, interest, capital gains, IRA distributions, money you took out of pensions or annuities, any money coming from a business, any money coming from a farm, unemployment compensation, social security benefits, everything is in there. So it doesn't matter how you got the income, that income is part of your adjusted gross income. Now, we are allowed some deductions. These are what are called front page deductions. They're not itemized or they're not standard deductions. All that happens on the second page. But the, the, the things we're allowed to adjust on the front, um, it's just not much. I mean, your health savings accounts, you're allowed to deduct. Um, you can deduct half of your self-employment tax. You can deduct the thing if you put into like simples and qualified plans. If you pay self-employed health insurance, you can deduct those kind of things. Um, some tuitions and fees, but the, the adjustments are minor. They're tiny. The income, there's just no way around it. They're, they're, they're calculating this on all the income. So then most of the people are not going to be able to get around it and get a subsidy is basically the bottom line in the Correct. trucking. If they're making anything at all in the trucking, you're basically not going to be able to circumvent the AIG to get the subsidy. Now, you know, what will happen in some years is that, you know, if, if you go out and buy a new glider, $130,000, $140,000, and you're gone, you know, 300 nights a year, 
Well, now between depreciation and per diem, you might be able to get your income down really, really low and get the subsidy that year. It'd be like a one-year wonder, though, and after that, you'd be right back the other way. Yeah, you might be able to squeeze two years out of a truck. And it, 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 again, it depends on how much money you're making. So, But but yeah, the, the answer to this is because of the way they're calculating it, corporations, LLCs, that kind of stuff, it's not going to do you any good. Okay, that was my question. Appreciate it, Kevin. Thank you. Have a good day. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. Let's go to Kentucky. Karen, welcome to the program. Hi, Kevin. Yesterday we talked about um, the electronic logs and that I, that we were running big road now. And well, last night I decided to sit down and put big road onto paper, onto paper logs, just to see if there was a difference and how much by putting it on paper, we used two more hours because we couldn't do that minute by minute account two hours in a week. Wow. In a month. That's, that's almost a whole day of driving. Yeah. Interesting. Hmm. Well, you know, here's the thing about the e-logs. I, you know, we've talked about it. I don't like them. I think it's an invasion. I, it's just more government garbage. But really, right. uh, you know, we, we're still running under the same rules. So if anything, there's only two things that can happen. What you've pointed out, one, that because it's, you know, we get those minutes in there sometimes, we're actually able to create a little extra time. Um, But the people who are most upset about this have to be the people who are not following the rules now. Yeah. Right. Look, we've all been, well, not everybody. There was a time, it was a long time ago, I I started running legal quite a long time ago, but there was a time when I, you know, played the game and did all that. And it's just changing. I mean, it it, it is going to become much more difficult under these rules. And again, I don't like them, but they're here to stay. It certainly looks that way. So we better figure out how to do it. So what you're doing is exactly what I recommend people do. Start using a system. You don't have to abide by it, but start using it. Play around with it and learn like you're doing. Right. Well, I've got to get to a break. Thanks for the call. Good stuff. I love it when people sit down, work through this stuff, figure it out, share it. This is how we all learn. We'll be right back. I'm Kevin Ruff. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. The website is letstruck.com. We're down to the final segment, so I'm going to get right back to the phones. Let's go to Ohio. Lewis, welcome to the program. Oh, you with me? Yeah, what can I help you with? Oh, I heard a 
saying the other day, uh, what is it, you can take the trucker off the road, but you can't take the road out of the trucker, and I, I thought of you. Ah, yeah, that, that, that's pretty fitting for me. You know, it, there was a time, and, and I remember, and I'm sure a lot of people can relate to this, when I was driving full-time, really, you know, busting my butt, especially when I was building the company. We had 11 trucks scattered all over the place doing all kinds of different things. And it seemed like I just worked nonstop, uh, driving a lot, working a lot. And, and all I could think about was, boy, I have got to get out of this truck. I, I've got to stop driving. I've got to run the company. And you know what? It wasn't very long after I got out of the truck that I thought, boy, I wish I was back in the truck again. <laughs> so now I kind of get the best of both worlds because I, I don't have to truck to make money, but I've got a truck and a trailer and I'm, it, it's I went out this morning and fired it all up and love my start module, by the way. It makes that so much easier. Truck's been sitting up there for six weeks. Go up there, fire it right up. I don't have to worry, screw around with it for an hour and a half. Um, so now I've kind of got the best of both worlds. I, I can, when I choose to, I can jump in the truck and go out and, you know, play truck driver and drive around and be out on the road. And then when I need to get some work done, I can get work done. So I, I like that saying. It makes sense for me. Hey, hey uh, a couple of quick ones here. Uh, well, my, my main focus is to, to find a truck. I'm still a company driver right now. Uh, I've saved up a little bit of money, and uh, I hate to say, you know, how much I have and all that because it's nothing, not a pot to piss in at my age, et cetera. But, you know, some guys are out there just, just struggling like, like I have and still am. But anyway, uh, I could ask you a while back, uh, where's a good place to go find one of these used trucks, you know? And uh, I've got a 94 Astro van. It's got a 4.2 liter uh, engine that's 260,000 miles. I want to take that up there somewhere, buy a little $1,000 trailer and, you know, put it in a trailer park and uh, take two months to find me a truck. Where, so have you had any feedback on a place? You mentioned Joplin and up in northeast Arkansas. Anybody come back to that it's, it's at another place? No, you know, and I did some looking around and, and I would still recommend that area. If, if you want to be where the, the most trucks are in the country, other than that, I mean, you, you've got to go up into the, the Northeast. And, and the reason there's a lot of trucks up there is just because there's a lot of people up there. It's just very congested. And I'm just not a big fan of that area. That's where you're going to see a lot of salt usage. Um, so for me, if I were going to spend some time in an area and I wanted access to as many trucks as possible, it would still be northern Arkansas, southern Missouri. Fantastic. Hey, I got one other question. Um, if, uh, you know, your company can do your per diem and some of them charge you three cents, et cetera. Uh, if, you, if I was to, when I sit down to do my taxes this year, if my company does not do that. I'm going to do it myself. I have done it previously several years ago. But would I be saying that when I do the 59 and then put it on that line and then take out the percentage, et cetera, like you say to do, would that be called per diem also, or do they call refer to that as something else? No, it, it, it well, it, it's on the tax return itself. Now you're filling out a, um, company driver return, correct? So you're going to do this on the Schedule A and the Form 2106 is the actual form that you use to fill out per diem. And let me see what, okay. What they call it on the form is um, 
meals and entertainment expense. That's what per diem. So you're not going to see the term per diem anywhere on the line or on the tax form. And I can even give you it's form 2106 and it is line five on that form meals and entertainment. And then if you look at the instructions for that form, it will talk about, you know, the the hours of service. If you're part of the DOT, that kind of thing. But you're not going to see a line to fill out per diem. You're going to put your per diem amount under meals and entertainment. Okay. So, so a tax man like you, or not, well, I'm sorry, you care about a lot of other things, but um, if you're talking to somebody else, would you refer to that as per diem, even though it doesn't have anything to do with the company? You know what I'm saying? Would you say, yeah. you know? Yeah, I, I, still, okay. yeah, I still say per diem because the per diem is the method that we use to calculate the amount of meals we get to deduct. So that's really what we're talking about. We're, we're saying that if you're out on the road, meals are deductible. They're a tax deductible expense. The way we calculate our meals is by a per day allowance and per diem is just Latin for per day. So, oh, great, great. Yeah, so we use the word per diem to talk about our meals because that's how we calculate it. But on the tax return, you enter it as meals and entertainment. Uh, and my growth, and my, my Social Security or Medicare that the company has already taken out, year when I do that with per diem, it doesn't, my Social Security and, and meals that have uh, Medicare that they already took out stays the same. The only thing that's going to change is my gross income and my tax, right? Is that correct? Correct. Per diem does not, well, per diem does affect Social Security in a sense. It affects how much Social Security you're paying in. Because when the now, not you, because the company is not paying you a per diem. Um, so you that's a non-issue for you. But when a company pays a per diem instead of allowing you to just deduct it, then they're not paying Social Security or Medicare on that money that they paid you as per diem. Right. So it right, lowers. Right. But if you don't get that money from the company, you still, all of your wages were qualified for Social Security, and now you're just going to take a tax deduction. It has nothing to do with your Social Security at all. Great. Fantastic. I appreciate your time. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. Let's go to Charlotte. Jim, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin. Hey, um, what's up? Say I heard you know, I, I heard you. T- I, I, I think you might. I don't know if you knew I'm a vegetarian myself, so I eat a lot of hummus. So I wasn't. That's not my question. But I heard you mention that. So I want to tell you, I don't know if you have Fred Meyer in Oregon or not. Yeah, we do. But OK, because we used to deliver there to a uh, roadrunner, you know, in Seattle. They're, they're all over the place. But there's if you go one thing, if you I don't know if you make yours or buy it, but if you buy it, a lot of them have like phosphoric acid, like Coca-Cola does, you know, for, so it can sit on the shelf for like three months or whatever. And yeah. if you, if you go to the Fred Meyer in the natural foods refrigerated area, you'll, there's the one from Wildwood or Emerald Valley that has no preservatives and it's organic and it really doesn't cost anymore. It's, it's really good. Nice. So, you know, a lot of times I make my own because I like my own, but I found a, uh, I was in Zupan's the other day, which is a really high end kind of grocery store around Portland. Um, 
great for organic and that kind of stuff. Um, the one downside to hummus, and I love hummus, and fat is really not an issue for me in my diet. I, I don't count fat calories and all that stuff. I just try to make sure I eat healthy fats. So I use olive oil or avocado oil, some of the really healthy oils. Um, but the, the one thing about hummus is when I make it, it, it's got a lot of fat in it. I mean, I use a lot of oil to make it taste good. And I found a brand the other day at Zupian's. It had no oil in it at all. It was totally organic, only had a couple ingredients and no oil. And I thought, oh, my God, this stuff's going to be horrible. But I'm going to try it anyway. So I bought it. Huh. And it, it's amazing. I mean, I, they must have really put in a lot more tahini because it, it's basically hummus is basically garbanzo beans and tahini and then some you know, flavoring and olive oil. But um, I normally don't put tahini in mine because I usually don't have it around. But I think I'm yeah. going to try making yeah, my yeah. own and adding more tahini and cutting back on the oil and see how that works. Yeah, actually, because I've made it a lot over the years. To me, the two things that are, that are important there, tahini is, is definitely one of the better tasting. I mean, that that's better than adding oil, I think. I love the taste of sesame seed. You know, that's, yeah. For anybody that doesn't know, tahini is ground up sesame seeds. And I, it tastes, you could even eat carrots just with that, I think. Oh, yeah. Celery. Yeah. 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 But, but also tamari instead of, I don't know what, what salt you use, but the good hummuses all have a soy sauce. It's, it's kind of like soy sauce, but it's called tamari. For some reason, it's slightly different flavor, more of a, I don't know if you want to call it smoky, but, but the tamari kind of soy sauce makes or breaks the good ones from the bad ones i think i'll try that too now tamari is actually it's kind of a concentrated soy sauce it's actually deeper richer a little saltier gotta be careful with it but i use tamari for a lot of things oh yeah yeah so that's uh i mean yeah you could put some of that frank's red hot in there (laughs) but yeah you could uh have you ever had that, by the way? That I, 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 for years, you know, it's been like Louisiana hot sauce, but they, a few years oh, no, ago, Frank's, Frank's yeah. is my favorite. That's all I use in my wing recipes. Hey, you know what? I'm going to carry you over to our next show. We'll open up the next show with you because I know you've got a question, and I was having fun talking about food and used up all your time. So I'm going to wrap this show up. We'll see you back here next time. Thanks for joining me. Be safe. Be profitable. Do the hard work and master the journey. Good night, everyone. I'm Kevin Ruff. All right, everybody, we're going to start a second hour. Here we go. Your money, your taxes, your truck, and your road to success in the trucking industry. This is Trucking Business and Beyond, the show that puts the money where it belongs. Back in your pocket. Welcome to the program. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. The website is letstruck.com. The show is all about the business of trucking. We take your calls. We answer your questions about everything trucking. Plus, we throw in a bunch of other stuff as well. If you want to talk about finances, money, personal development, health and fitness, 
whatever it might be. We, we cover a wide range of topics here, all wrapped around trucking and the trucking lifestyle. But I like to say this show is all about helping you become a better you and uh, sharing that with the rest of the trucking community. So we do that by taking your calls and answering your questions. We're going to get to those in just a little bit. I've been talking uh, all week, and I'm going to continue to be talking about our mastermind groups that we're going to get started. And I'm going to start a group. I'm going to encourage other people to step up and start groups as well. So just stay tuned. I'll be talking a lot about the process as I work through it and figure out all the details. And then I'm going to be helping other people start their own groups and we're going to manage it. We'll provide the, the technology, the background, the training, but we need leaders to step up. And, and I'll just give you a quick rundown to see if you might be interested in this. I'm looking at groups of 10 people or less built around a, a core theme, and that theme could be all kinds of things. My group, my first group, for example, and the groups are going to have a limited time frame. So my first group, I want to deal with sales and customer service. So I'm looking for people in trucking who have their own customers or want to get their own customers. And we're going to focus on getting better at sales, marketing, and customer service. Ten people will meet one hour a week. We'll probably do it in something like Google Hangouts where we can all be on video and we'll record these events so that the information's there. I'm working through all the details now, but I could see groups being formed around lots of different themes or cores. For example, maybe 10 people all contracted to Landstar, maybe 10 people all contracted to Landstar who haul um, ammunition in the government loads or the military loads. So you could get really, really specialized in this. You might form a mastermind group with 10 people in trucking who like to run when they're on the road. Um, I'm going to create a format. I'm going to create a, a meeting schedule so that meetings stay on track. And again, we're going to be the resource to, to help everybody get these set up. And as a company, we're going to run some groups ourselves. But I, I'm looking for leaders, people who want to step up and lead a group. If you have an idea, and look, just because you send me an email and say you have an idea, you're not committed. If you've got some ideas, send me an email. Uh, we can talk it over. I'll let you know what it what it's going to entail, and you can make a decision. But if you've got an idea, you think this is something you might be interested in, I'm going to give you an email address, so grab something to write with. Send an email to support at letstruck.com. Pretty simple. I say letstruck.com every day, dozens of times. It's just support at letstruck.com. Let me know if you're interested. Uh, all I really need are people willing to lead. You don't have to have any other skills. We'll figure out uh, how to get you up and running. Let's go to the phones. Let's start off tonight in Charlotte. Jim, welcome to the program. Hi, Kevin. Hey, what's up today? Um, well, I've got a question. I'll I'll get right to the point. Um, you know, we're we're we have new authority now, and we we have a name for our trucking company. That's it's even Lisa had a hard time spelling it, so I'm not. I'll just tell you what it is over the air. It's Kerplopus, K I R P L O P U S, because that's what I nicknamed our old black and tan coonhound. 
Okay. Uh, it's a long story, but I, I paid an ad agency for a good name, and, and all the names they gave me for $500 basically weren't good. So until, until oh, I come I up with something, yeah. But any, so anyway, to register this name as an internet, I'm worried that, you know, I've, I've heard how people can, um, uh, you know, if they think like if you're, a, say, a politician, your name is Jim, they, they might want to quick grab Jim.com before you do, so you have to buy it from them. Um, so I was, tra- I was trying to see basically how, if I know you would know how the whole internet domain name system works. Like if I register the name, how much a year does that tend to cost me to register it now, even though I'm, I'm not going to be designing a website now, but I do want to lock down the name just in case somebody searches the uh, new authorities and, and tries to grab those eventually, you know, where you have to pay for your own name. Yeah. It, so the the thing about domains is, most of the good ones are all gone. They've been gone for years because of exactly what you said. Some people grabbed them and didn't even use them and they just sit on them waiting for somebody to buy them. Other companies register every donate domain they think they might possibly use someday. I mean, with all the stuff we have going on, we probably have somewhere between a hundred and 200 domains registered. Do you, do you have to pay for those? Like if, when you say yes. that, Kevin, do you, so oh, how yeah. much per we, year just so to sit on a name like that, if, how much do, how much are these people paying that they try to think somebody might want it? So they sit on it. How much is that costing them? Just out of curiosity. No, there, there, there isn't a set number because what it, what it comes down to two things that determine the price one, who you use, whether it's GoDaddy, register.com, uh, there's tons of them. Uh, GoDaddy, probably just the most well-known because they advertise so much. So mm. each company can charge a different amount. But then the other thing that'll happen is we have so many extensions now, .com, .org, .nyc, .business, .company, .everything. And they put different prices on all of those, .com usually being the most expensive. And then some of these other not so well known, um, cheaper. The problem with the not so well known, if you let's say you want to pick dot biz, B-I-Z is an extension you could choose. Let's say that you choose XYZ dot biz. The problem with that is you're going to send the majority of your traffic to to uh, XYZ dot com because that's what exactly. everybody. Do. So, yeah, yeah, I get that. The only time I use those weird extensions is when I already own the .com. So if I own, you know, let's truck.com, then I might register let's truck.info, let's truck.biz, let's truck, you know, just to protect all the other ones. And that's why we end up with so many domains that we don't use. We just buy them to protect the .com that we already have. So the, but the price, we're not talking about much. And and the other thing that determines price is how long you want to register it for. I recommend ponying up a little bit of extra money and just registering for a long time up front, five years, 10 years. That way you don't have to worry about forgetting it. And, you know, somebody grabbing it. If you don't get the emails telling you your site's about to expire, Uh, because one of the dangers is, there are lots of companies that look for expiring domains and the minute one expires, they buy it and they buy it just hoping that it had traffic coming to it. And now they'll get all that traffic directed wherever they want it. Or, or could they try to sell it back? And like, if I, if I had a trucking company, yeah, they can do that too, 
They could buy it. Yeah. Hoping you screwed up and then they can sell it back to you. Um, We've been trying to buy fuel gauges, I think, for several years. And, you know, it's not being used. The guy owns it. And, you know, he keeps throwing a price out there that we're just not willing to pay. So we're just waiting. Um, hopefully nobody else will get interested in it and he'll eventually give it up at a better price. But, um, the good ones are gone. You, you've got to come up with some pretty unusual stuff these days to get a dot com. But one of the things you might want to look at since you have such a weird name is you could register that name as a dot com. The, the odds that it's, um, in fact, let me check, spell that. Yeah. Lisa, Lisa, it's, it's a K I R. Now, she already checked it available. Yep, she did. Okay. Then what you could do is is register that to protect your name. Then you could also come up with some weird combination of initials, um, like KP or something. And then the odds of a a short two or three initial dot com being available are also pretty slim, but you can check. Then we usually start looking at things like putting the word my in front of it. Like, let's say your initials were KTS or whatever it happens to be. And KTS.com is taken. You could do something like my KTS. And actually, the the websites like GoDaddy, um, almost all of them do this. If you type in a name you're looking for and it's not available, it'll give you 50 recommendations that are close. Okay. So one of the best yeah. ways to do this is just sit down at one of these sites, GoDaddy, Register.com, places like that, and just start typing in domains and see what comes up, and it'll generate new ideas for you. And play around with it for an hour or two. You'll figure something out. Okay. Thank you, Kevin. You're welcome. I've got to get to a break. We'll be right back. Stick around. I'm Kevin Rutherford. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. The website is letstruck.com. I'm going to get back to the phone calls in just a couple minutes. You know, I've been talking about a lot of different topics lately about just just getting better at all areas of our life. We're, we're, We're certainly still focused around the core of trucking. But we're, we're looking at ways to help people in, in all areas because we understand that trucking lifestyle and it's very different. So I've been talking a lot about health and fitness. And one of the things I'm most excited about, I've been involved in health and fitness almost my whole life. I started in sports at age six. I mean, I was racing motorcycles and bowling and little league and, you know, all, all those things very early on. 
Um, got involved in wrestling early on, which, you know, had a really strong component around weight, managing weight. So I learned a lot about that. My first business was a gym. Um, I, I've done a lot of coaching in both soccer and wrestling, um, a lot of training. And the thing that I'm most excited about now, um, and, and I started getting back into fitness a couple months ago. The thing that I'm most excited about now is the technology that is making it so much easier this time. You know, the best way to improve something is to be able to measure it. And measuring fitness used to be really time consuming. Like, I, you know, I would have to keep track and write down my workouts. How far did I go? What was my pace? What, how many miles? I, you know, try to figure out how many calories I burned. It's a lot of work. So I just wouldn't do it. And because I wasn't tracking it, it, it made it harder. It, it, now, you don't have to track. You just get out, get active, and, and start improving your eating a little bit. You'll get healthier. But I, I, I like to maximize my time. So if I can measure something and then tweak what I'm doing so that it gets better and more efficient, I love that. The technology today makes fitness tracking so much easier. Uh, and I want to use real numbers. So I'm working with the Bod Pod. So I went and got my uh, Bod Pod reading, and it gives you your, it, it's the most accurate measure of body fat. Um, I was pleasantly surprised. Now, I, I went for, I wish I would have gone to the Bod Pod before I started working out again, but I didn't. I'd been working out about two months. Um, and I know I've lost some weight and body fat in that two months, but I, I was pleasantly surprised. My body fat was 17.9, um, which is good. I want my goal is to get it under 15, but the, the beauty is that I can track it. I'll go back every three months and get a new reading and I want to get it under 15. And then I actually want to start increasing my body weight keeping my body fat under 15%. And the way you increase weight is adding muscle mass, which is healthy. Um, but, you know, I can measure my activity all day long with the activity bands. I've been testing those and I love them. Um, the new band I'm testing, and you leave it on all the time, day, night, shower, swimming, everything, measures my heart rate all day long and then calculates my overall resting heart rate. And I love that. Now, you can check your heart rate yourself, but you've got to do it. And then you've got to try to calculate it. And you would have to check it many, many times throughout the day. And with the band, it does it for me. And, you know, I, I was also pleasantly surprised by my heart rate. Um, I think this is just natural for me because I, I haven't been working out as hard as as this would indicate. So the Kind of the the average heart rate for adults is somewhere between 60 and 80. Resting heart rate, that's 60 and 80 beats per minute when you're not doing anything. You're sitting totally still. Elite athletes is what they say. The range for elite or well-trained athletes is 40 to 60. And then for the average population, 60 to 80 and your heart rate, your resting heart rate tends to go up as you get older. Um, I was pleasantly surprised to find out that on the first day I started tracking mine, uh, it was 61, I believe, 
couple of days later, it came down to 59 and now it's down to 57. And like I say, I, I'm not training all that hard at all. And I'm uh, so I think that I must naturally just have a low heart rate. Um, but here it is again. Every day I can look at my dashboard or my app and I can see how active I've been, what my resting heart rate is, how many calories I'm burning. It, it, it's such a great way of tracking this without doing any work, letting the technology do the work. So if you have any questions about fitness bands and trackers, ask me. I'm testing uh, one, two, three, four, five different models right now. Let's go to Florida. Jay, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin. Thanks for taking my call. How are you today? Good. What can I help you with? Uh, a few years back, Bridgestone purchased the Dayton Tire and Rubber Company, and they absorbed their product line into their product line. Last year, they reintroduced the Dayton Tire line for trucks, if you will, and I've got a set of those G600 series drive tires. Before I bought them, I went to the Michelin site trying to get the royal business numbers. Nothing was. I wonder if you have any experience with those Dayton tires. Uh, not, um, no, I don't, I've never owned a Dayton tire. I've never used one. So I don't have any, you know, direct, um, experience with them. Um, what are you looking for? What do you want to know about the tire? Just how well it performed or how well it performed? Exactly. Correct. Yep. They are smart way listed, if you will, for what the tire deal information is worth which doesn't tell you very much. You've made the comment several times. If you had the tires, you'd throw them in the ditch and buy some new ones. Well, I was financially embarrassed when I bought these. I'm in a better position right now to go ahead and throw them in the ditch at DB and get some better ones. Um, do you know what model you've got? The D601s. The D601. Okay, that is a... That's part of their drive line. I actually... Let me check on that because I believe. Oh no, that that's got a um, that's got a lousy rolling resistance, one thirty nine. Now they do have another tire that they're calling a radial highway service tire, uh -huh. and it's got a rolling resistance of ninety four. What is that thing? Um. Where's your data coming from? So I can go take a look at that. Um, I I use a site, and and it's one of our listeners that runs the site, and he does a great job. It, if you go to ambt.org, so the the initial stand for America Moves by Truck. So you can either go to americamovesbytruck.com or ambt.org. Org. And over okay. on the left, you'll see rolling resistance. And and uh, William is is the guy's name. He's done a beautiful job of pulling the information about rolling resistance and you know what kind of tire it is, what position it goes in, what sizes it's available in. Um, I, I I use that site all the time. The problem is I'm trying to look up Dayton, and they're just they're just not very clear about their tires. They don't put. Yep. That's it. <laughs> I know. So they, they've got this tire that, that, you know, I'm seeing it's called a radial highway service. 
and it's mm-hmm. showing a, a rolling resistance of 94. My guess is it's probably a trailer tire. Um, okay. Their, their rib tire, their all position is uh, one of them shows 103, which that's, that's acceptable. You know, at 103, okay. if you really liked their steer tire, you know, I, I could see running it in all positions. And, and having it at 103 would give you a nice low overall rolling resistance. And then you have the ability to move them around. But it looks like their lug tire is, is pretty bad at 140. Yeah, okay, gotcha. Now I run Michelin steers. That's all I'm ever going to run. Okay. And, and I agree. I mean, I, I love the Michelin tires. And, and you might want to think about putting that same steer tire on your drives. The XCA3, really? Oh, it's a great drive tire. Uh, okay. Expensive, but... They are. They are expensive, <laughs> but low rolling resistance, great ride, great handling. In rain, they are fantastic. In, in light snow and slush, they're excellent. Uh, they're <laughs> quiet. They ride nice. And you can get some pretty long life out of them as well. And Just again, what? you have that... You have that advantage that if something goes wrong and you start chewing up a steer tire you you don't have to lose the tire you just pull it off throw it on a drive position take one of your drive tires put it up front and the one thing i found when i i used to do this before wide singles i i always did this on all my trucks ran the same tire in every position and i found that if you put a tire back on the drive axle and run it about thirty thousand miles and then take right. it off and put it on the steer, they wear like iron up there. They really, really wear well if you start them on the drive position first. So something to think about. It's a strategy I used for years and loved it. Stick around. We'll be right back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. We're going to jump right back to some phone calls. Let's head off to Montana. Blake, welcome to the program. How are you today? Good. What can I help you with? Well, I've got a couple of questions for you. Um, I uh, run sand in, in uh, well, I have frack sand, and uh, I uh, sometimes we have to offload the sand into a tent for storage, and the issue is the dust that comes from that is pretty bad. And I'm wondering if your recommendation on a filter for my truck, I run, I have two trucks I run. I actually am a company driver for a company and I all, they've allowed me to put two trucks on as a contractor also, which okay. is kind of nice because I get the benefits. But uh, 
the question I have is the, the filters, they get, with because of all this dust, they have a tendency to plug up quicker, and it's kind of expensive to be replacing them with your, you know, standard filter. Does the fleet air filter, didn't, have I heard you say that that can be cleaned? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Now, the thing that I would want you to do, I, I would want you to call and talk to fleet air directly. I, I'll give okay. you my opinion, but, but they deal with this much more often. In really dirty environments, sometimes we don't recommend it. Okay. Uh, and, and I want you to talk to them. And, and a lot of it is just because of the work involved. It, it will clog quick. Um, we need to make sure that dirt doesn't get into the engine. If I right. were going to run a fleet air filter in an operation like yours, I, I would do a couple things different. I, I and, But again, I want you to talk to them to see what they recommend. They might tell you, no, just don't use it at all in that environment. Okay. If I okay. were going to use it in a dirty environment, I would have multiple sets of wraps. So the fleet air filter has a, an aluminum core, the frame, kind of, and then it's got several layers of foam wraps that go around it, and you, they're Velcro, and you unwrap them, clean them, dry them, wrap them back up. Well, I would have multiple sets of wraps. That way, when it's time, you just pull the dirty ones off, throw the clean ones on, and then wash the others, and you're not waiting around. And if you're really busy okay. and you can't get to it for a couple of days, having multiple sets would be good. But I would also I would also keep a paper filter with me, and when I was in that tent, I'd just throw the paper filter in there. Oh, that's a good idea. And changing air filters is 30 seconds. I mean, you know, yeah. you're under the hood doing a pre-trip anyway, throw a filter in, there's no big deal. So get their recommendation, explain to them the environment you're in and, and see what they think about using the filter. But if you were going to, if it were me, I'd have multiple wraps and I'd also carry a paper filter. Okay. That sounds like a good idea. All right. The next question is going to, you're going to, uh, I have, I've kind of, well, <clears throat> I need to find out how I find out what rear end ratio my truck has. Okay. You know, I, uh, the reason I asked that is I pretty much had, two trucks given to me. Um, my brother-in-law had been running water trucks up in North Dakota and he got frustrated and quit. And I've been working for this company. He said, if I wanted to take the two trucks, I could take them and run. Um, and he does, he's, he was an old farmer and doesn't really know his maintenance program has really been bad. And I'm trying to change that. But, uh, um, okay. how do I find out the rear end ratio of these trucks? We can try a couple things. Um, have are you familiar with the trucks? Have you driven them enough to yes. like? What I'm going to ask you is, what is the RPM at 60 miles an hour in top gear? Have you driven them enough to know that kind of stuff? No, I haven't. I can find that out. My drivers, I can. I've got my son-in-law works for me, and I can get him to run it and find that out, um, and just yeah. tell him to run at 60 miles an hour and see. I'll tell you the different ways we can figure this out. Some trucks, there's a an information plate somewhere. Sometimes it's right inside the door, the driver's yeah, I door. I on there and I couldn't find anything on it. Sometimes it's in the fuse box. You can find okay. some stuff there. Um, the rear end itself should have a tag on it. It's hard oh, to okay. find. It's dirty and nasty under there, and you've got to figure out where it is and get it cleaned up. That's another possibility. Those three, though, might not be absolute, especially on an older truck. Somebody might have changed the gears on us, and then right. none of those three would be accurate. There's another way. If you jack up the truck and you tie a string around the drive shaft and let it hang straight down, 
And then you take the wheel, put a mark on it, the top or bottom, wherever you want. And you spin the wheel one time, one full revolution and watch the drive shaft because it's going to spin as well. Mm -hmm. And we need to count the number of revolutions on the drive shaft. So it, and it's going to be like three and a half. If you got three and a half turns to every one turn of the wheel, that would be 3.55s probably. Oh, okay. If you get just a little more than three and a half, like three and three quarters, it's going to be 3.73s. Oh, that's a good idea. So that that's okay. one way. Um, the other is if you can call me back, say on another show and tell me that, you know, at 60 miles an hour in top gear, your RPM is this, and I would need to know the tire size as well. Then I can run it through a calculator that will get us pretty close. But those are the different ways you can figure this out. I've been listening to you for a while and, um, I, uh, I've been trying to do what you can. We've only been running the truck since November. Um, he uh, pretty much gave them to me. And I, I know they're your least favorite trucks. There's a 379 Pete uh, 06 with an Acer in it. But uh, when they're giving hey, to you, know, you're trying to take what you can you know get. What my, you know what my favorite truck is? What's that? Free. Yeah, for sure. And I got two of them. I had to yeah, buy the trailers. But I mean, I, and I've often said, you know, those trucks that I don't like, if somebody gave it to me, I'd sell it and go buy something else. But I, that's half yeah. joking. Um, if somebody yeah. gave me these trucks, I'd run them and make money with them. And that's what I'm doing. That, that's the nice thing about it. I don't have the expense of the truck. I have yeah. to pay for the trailer. And the other thing is, is he's financing me on it. So, I mean, it's, it's almost like a, I mean, hundred percent win-win situation. It's really nice. It really is. And in that case, I would take those trucks in a heartbeat, just go make as much money as I could on them. And at some point you're going to be successful and you're going to be able to go out and buy whatever trucks you want. Yeah. And that's what I figured two years down the road. I'm looking at doing that with both of them. And I, yeah, I, I've set myself a goal. My birthday, I'll be 60 years old at the end of this month. And I've set myself a goal that I'm going to buy your program. That's my birthday present to myself. Excellent. So, Excellent. It, it'll be worth every penny. I promise you that, that, you know, it, it's 250 bucks or so to buy the program. And, and we've had people really report back to us that, between the step-by-step advice, the the tips and tricks we give about negotiating for trucks and rates, and they say they've saved ten to fifteen thousand dollars in their startup with things they've learned in that book. Let's uh, let's go to Tennessee. Charles, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin. Thanks for taking my call. Uh, first of all, I got a comment. The other night you was talking about people going in and listening to your old podcast. Yeah. Uh, I did that and I listened to the first one where you and Lisa first had the, uh, blog talk or the screen hooked up and she was chiming in. Oh yeah. I'll tell you that, that was hilarious. Uh, <laughs> I know. I, I, me, uh, I, I'd sorry, love to, yeah. I'd love to get Lisa on the air more often cause she's so good. You know, it, and she really is good at it, but she's always so busy doing other stuff. Yeah, it, it really made it entertaining, you know, for her chiming in every once in a while and stuff. Um, it, it was just pretty cool. But uh, uh, I had a question. Uh, I had my ECM. It's a 06 International with the ISX. Uh, I had the ECM redone. 
Now, since that's been redone and basically don't have an EGR, should I still idle the truck up when I'm stopped, or can I just leave it at regular idle? Yeah, that's a good question, and I'm going to take some time on this answer because this is one of those areas that I kind of did the same thing I caution other people not to do. I, I listened to something that I had heard and never really went to verify or do any more research. And we've all heard this. We've all heard that you should bump your idle up because, you know, you don't want the engine idling too cold because it's not good for the engine and all that stuff. And I, I believed it. it made total sense. So I would tell people, yeah, you should bump your idle up. And then one day I, you know, got thinking, why do I say that? I don't know for sure that that's true. I must have heard it someplace, but I've never really seen any facts. So what I decided to do was we did a little survey and I, I found people who were running a higher idle and people who were doing standard idle. And I went through about 50 trucks and I looked at oil samples and I can't tell any difference in the oil samples. None whatsoever from a truck that's idling fast and a truck that's idling slow. And if it's not so affecting oil, then why should we turn our idle up and just burn more fuel? Yeah, exactly. So I, I started saying, no, don't do it. I, I can't find any real evidence that I was just repeating what I had heard all these years. But when I went and actually did some research, I found out I don't see any reason to bump the idle up. Now, maybe on older mechanical engines, it probably made a ton of sense. On our new electronic engines, we don't need to. Now, I'll throw in one more exception. I haven't done any research to how it affects DPFs. So it might be that a low idle is, is clogging DPF sooner than a high idle would be. But you don't have one, so I'm going to tell you, leave it at low idle. I, I don't see any benefit to, to burning more fuel when you're idling. Stick around. We'll be right back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. We're down to the final segment, so I'm going to get right back to the phone calls. Let's go to Maryland. Mike, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin. How are you? Good. What can I help you with today? Uh, let's see here. I'm going to get up. This. Okay, can you hear me? I wanted to get off the yep. this. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, oh, that uh, high idle, low idle thing, by the way, my, uh, a friend of mine told me that uh, he does it because he wants to get high oil pressure, and he doesn't want to idle at the regular oil pressure. You know, when it's on fast idle, the, the pressure kind of goes up. So that's yeah. the reason. I don't know if it makes any sense at all. Well, it doesn't. That's the thing. Uh, and that's what I started looking at, because people had all these reasons why they were doing it. But when I started analyzing the reasons, they didn't make sense. You know, we, we were told that if you idle an engine at less than operating temperature, it creates an acidic environment in the engine and the oil. Well, if that's yeah. the case, I, I can absolutely see that in an oil sample. So I went back and looked, and I'm not seeing it. it, it it's just not there. But like I said, a lot of these ideas started when we had mechanical engines. 
and yeah. electronics changed everything. Mechanical engines used to put a lot of fuel into that cylinder, even at idle. So you weren't burning all the fuel. So you got fuel dilution and acid and all this other stuff. But I think electronic engines are so much more efficient at putting the right amount of fuel into the cylinder that even at low idle, we're not getting an acidic environment. And there's still plenty of oil pressure there. I mean, that oil is circulating all through the engine just like it needs to. Oh, good. I'm glad. Um, I have an oil sample, speaking of an oil sample, but uh, I wanted to ask you a quick question. Uh, for the podcast, like uh, the rates and lanes and the one for Kenny Long, uh, do you guys store them so that somebody can go back if he has missed some and he can yes. listen to them? Yeah. In fact, they're, they're stored in several places around the internet because people like to use different apps. So we're trying to make them as available as we possibly can. So um, they're in iTunes. Um, they're, okay. in blog, they're in Blog Talk Radio. They're in our network. So if you, it, and really the best place to access them is, is our network. Go to let, letstruck.com. Right on the homepage, you'll see each show. Click on that show, and it'll take you to all the past episodes. Okay. All right. I have um, another sample. Let's take a look. Um, wow. You know, it always shocks me. You switch to the uh, the 10W30, the new 30-weight oil, and it always right. shocks me because the viscosity runs in the 10 range, which... Right. Is really, really low, but that's the point. Lower viscosity, the engine works easier, get better fuel economy. Um, your sample looks really clean. You've got a uh, little over 900,000 on the engine, right? Right. And about 27,000 miles on the oil. And there's really nothing here. Lead is up at 10. Um, but that's, that's really, really minor. So, uh, you know, that is nothing to be concerned about at all. Um, the rest of your wear metals are nice and low. We've got no indication of coolant whatsoever. Fuel dilution is perfect. Soot is nice and low. This is a great sample. This is a good running engine. Yeah, it started out a mess. I, uh, used to have tons of sulfur and potassium levels and uh, traced it to an EGR cooler, replaced that and ran a couple of, uh, ran, ran a couple of new oil. Um, change, I changed the oil a couple of times and then ran it. And then, um, yeah. I, you know, I'm, I'm on it. I, I do the modifications that you recommend. So um, it's, it's getting there and it's starting to look really clean. Yeah. Whatever you're doing is working. So just keep doing what you're doing because your samples are getting better and better. And, and that's, that's the whole point of this. I mean, that's the beauty. I say, I'd love to do things by the numbers, not just guessing or hoping. And that's what you're doing. You had a sample. It had some problems. You fix some things. We take another sample, gets better. We tweak a few things, take another sample. Yours just keeps getting better. So just keep doing what you're doing. You're doing all the right stuff. Let's uh, let's go to Colorado. Brenton, welcome to the program. Hey, you had a couple of callers earlier. One was asking about the uh, Dayton tires, the highway, radial highway yeah. service. Yep. Excellent tires for a trailer. I had it on a trailer for two years, and I went through four other tires on the other axle, and those ones are still there. <laughs> oh, nice. And, and I that tire has a rolling resistance of 94, which... 
you know, we can get some trailer tires all the way down in the 70s, but 94 is still good. I mean, anytime we're under 100, we're doing good. And if you liked that tire and it really wore good, then that would be a tire to have. Yeah, I was in the oil field too, and uh, okay. they were cheap. They were cheap, and what I can grab, and I didn't Good. have any problems with them chipping out or anything. So excellent. They they did awesome. And then also, you had another caller asking about uh, the fleet air filter for the oil field. Well, right. They they clog up real fast. That was my fear, and that's why I wanted him to talk to Fleet Air Filter because they talked to so many more people about that. But, you know, when you put an oiled filter in a really dusty environment, and I have lots of experience with it. I ran it on motorcycles, ATVs, racing, all that stuff. And literally, it changed filters every race because they clogged that fast. But I did run into somebody that was running a K&N, and K&N is a lot cheaper, and it's not oiled. Yeah, so here's the that, problem. That is here's option. the problem with the I, I would if if somebody wanted to try a K and N in the oil fields, I would be taking oil samples every five thousand miles. The danger with a non-oiled foam filter is that you get a lot of dirt. They're just not as good at 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 stopping dirt. There, see, a paper filter is so dense that dirt can't possibly get through that. But the air has a hard time getting through it because it's so dense. And that's why we starve an engine for, for air. When we put a dry foam filter on, lots of air flows through that filter. There's lots of ways for the air to get through. It's not very dense. We oil it so that the oil attracts the dirt and the dust. I would really, really be afraid of running a non-oiled foam filter in that kind of environment. But if somebody wanted to try it to learn, I would say absolutely take your oil samples early and watch closely for silicon. That's all I got for you. I, I appreciate the heads up on the, uh, you know, the, the oiled filters in there. I, that was what I thought. Um, that they're going to clog pretty quick and it, and it might just not be worth all the work, but you gotta, you know, you gotta compare that to clogging a lot of paper filters. They're expensive to buy. That's why it might just be better off, you know, having a, a two or three sets of foam filters and, you know, paying your 12 year old to wash them at home and have them ready for you. I don't know. Let's uh, let's squeeze in a quick one here. Let's go to Canada. Sean, welcome to the program. Yeah, Kevin, uh, the caller who mentioned about the XGA3s being expensive. Uh, yeah. If you're buying a steer tire, yes. What you want to do is find out who the supplier is to Michelin in your area, and you buy the tires that aren't good enough to be steer tires, but are brand new, and they stamp right on them for either duels or for trailer tires only, drive or trailer tires only. And you can pick them up at a fairly decent price. Uh, there are auctions for them. I'm not sure what areas he is, uh, but that may be a way to buy them. That way you're not buying a brand new steer tire. You're buying something that cannot be a steer tire. Yeah, interesting. I've never seen that. Um, I, di I didn't even know that they did that. So it's an XEA3. It's an all-position tire, but for whatever reason, they have some that get marked not not for steers? I have them. I have them. We use them huh. in the summertime. I wish I had them all year, but they pulled them off in October on me. I'm not happy about it, but it says right on them. 
not to be used for steer, dual tires or drive tires and trail tires only, right stamped on them. They were brand new when we got them. Huh. Yeah, I've never seen that. That's a great tip to look for those. Well, it's a trade secret. Maybe I shouldn't have given out, but you know what? You've given me enough that I got to give you some back, right? There you go. I appreciate it. I love it. I, I, looking at the clock, I've got to wrap this up. I've got to get out of here. You know, the time just flies when I do the show. This is my favorite part of the day, but my time is up. Check out the website. It's letstruck.com. And, and I want to encourage you again to help us out with the new network. You know, we, we love... We love the idea of the network and the potential and the, the possibilities of the network. There's so much we can do with this. There's so many people out there with good information, and the network is the way to get it out to them. It's, gonna, it's a big job. I mean, it, it's expensive. It's time-consuming. We're okay with that. I want to take it on. And I don't even need your money right now, but I do need your support I need you to listen to the shows. And, and if you don't like them, then obviously don't listen, but go try them out. And, and if you like a show, support it, subscribe to it, review it on iTunes if you get a chance, but just go listen. That will help us more than anything right now. So just go to letstruck.com. You'll see it right there on the homepage. You can go back and listen to all the past episodes as well. Thanks for joining me. Be safe, be profitable. Do the hard work and master the journey. Good night, everyone. I'm Kevin Rutherford. Thanks for tuning in to The Audio Road. If you have any questions, give us a call at 855-800-FUEL. That's 855-800-3835. Check out the website at letstruck.com and find us on facebook.com slash letstruck.